Well, in John chapter 2, so for those of you visiting with us this morning, that's kind of a bring you up to speed here this morning. Uh, At the wedding in Cana, we saw Jesus turn water into wine, a sign that he has fulfilled the old covenant and is bringing the new covenant into place on the third day. The new covenant is like a marriage between Jesus, who is the bridegroom, and his church, who is the bride, that is, all who would believe in him. Then, at the Passover feast in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself to be God's true Passover lamb, who takes away the sins of the world by driving out all the other old covenant sacrificial animals out of the temple. And then Jesus declared that he himself would actually replace the temple when he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up referring to his coming death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and Jesus is God, who has tabernacled among us. That's how he's the temple. He's the place. He's the presence of God. And John the Evangelist is showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover, the feast that he's at, and thus the Savior of the world. John chapter 2 was a good chapter. Then John says that although many believed Jesus because of his signs that he was doing, Jesus did not entrust himself to them because they, he knew what was in a man. And that perplexed us maybe a little bit. That's why beginning in the very next verse, the very next sentence in John chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus goes on to tell a man what he really needs. And what every man, woman, and child needs is to be born again of the Spirit of God. So let's read John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. I'm actually going to back up and begin in John chapter 2, verse 23, so that you will see the absolutely seamless move from uh, verse 24 to verse 1. This is the very word of God. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he did no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, 
We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of God. So Nicodemus was a man. And he's a prominent man in Jerusalem and and in Israel, from what we gather, and it, Israel is gathered in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. He's a Pharisee and a ruler. As a ruler, he's, he's probably a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And as a Pharisee, he's a Bible expert and a Bible teacher. In fact, if you noticed in verse 10, Jesus referred to him as the teacher of Israel. It's the Passover, and Nicodemus is known as a, as a preeminent Bible authority in Jerusalem. And as such, he comes to Jesus at night. Much is often made about this nighttime visit of Nicodemus to Jesus. Some see the imagery of Nicodemus, who is in the dark, coming to Jesus, who is light. John may have that in mind. Some say that Nicodemus is visiting Jesus under the cloak of darkness because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be seen you know, visiting this rabble. That idea seems to be countered with historical evidence, even biblical evidence in the Psalms, that nighttime was the typical time when rabbis and disciples got together to study the scriptures and to discuss them. That seems reasonable to me. What is clear is that Nicodemus is favorably disposed to Jesus. Rather than gathering with others to talk about Jesus or to criticize Jesus, he goes straight to Jesus to have an honest and forthright conversation. It's going to be a more forthright conversation than he was anticipating, I think. But Jesus is often surprising in that way. Nicodemus seems humble, doesn't he? The teacher of Israel respectfully addresses Jesus from Galilee as rabbi. And he reveals himself to be one of those men at the end of chapter 2 who believes Jesus to be a teacher from God because he has seen the signs Jesus has given, right? That's how he's identified. Which, which does shed some light back on those people described in chapter 2, verse 23. They have not bent the knee, these who have believed in his name. They have not bent the knee and pledged to follow Jesus as Messiah. They are only reasoning with their natural minds based on what they saw that there's something interesting, even attractive, about this man, Jesus. Nicodemus is just a sign-believing man. And Jesus is the one doing those signs. So he goes to meet Jesus. In fact, later in chapter 6, Jesus will tell the crowd of 5,000 that the only reason they were following him was because of the sign of bread that he fed them. And not because of what the sign points to him, which, which it points to him to say that he's the bread of life. That's, that's kind of what's in a man too. Because Jesus knows what's in a man. Still, Nicodemus comes to Jesus believing that God is somehow with Jesus, empowering Jesus to do what he's doing. Because Nicodemus, the Pharisee, has the same hopes, same expectation of God sending a Messiah, 
his prophet, his capital P prophet, or maybe even Elijah, as every other Jew at that time. So he brings his initial observations and his preliminary conclusions straight to Jesus. I have to wonder, what if Jesus was merely a rabbi? Now, he's not. He's much more. But what if he was merely a rabbi, even a godly rabbi? This visit from this Pharisee, this ruler, the teacher of Israel, this leader, the preeminent one in Israel, teacher in Israel, could be a pretty helpful meeting to his ministry. Nicodemus could be the means by which Jesus makes inroads instead of enemies of the real movers and shakers in Israel. This could be a real boost to Jesus' earthly ministry. This may be the, the guy you really want to be part of your church. If we could just get him to be a part of the church. If Jesus was merely a rabbi, it might be time to play the game just a little bit. Take advantage of this innocent opportunity that's happened upon him. Because you can imagine ministry leaders or churches behaving that way, can't you? But that's not Jesus. Jesus is not just a rabbi. And the opportunity here is really for Nicodemus. Jesus receives Nicodemus and what he has said as far as it goes and goes to tell Nicodemus what he needs. Let me read verses 3 to 8 just again. Let's get them in our mind. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he? Enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus three times, you must be born again. The wording, precisely, I think, is born from above. The same word means both. Born again, born from above. Either way, you get its meaning. You get what Jesus is saying. This new birth is the same new birth that John introduced back in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. We were there just a couple weeks ago. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So this concept of the new birth is not new to us or John's readers, but it's new to Nicodemus. And he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand because Jesus has not yet entrusted himself to Nicodemus. And he has not entrusted himself to Nicodemus precisely because he has not yet been born again by the Spirit. Being born again is, in theological terms, regeneration. That's what born again is. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're dead in our sin until God makes us alive 
That's the new birth. Once we are born of God, then Christ entrusts himself to us. That's why you, who have experienced the new birth, understand what Nicodemus cannot. Only when you have been born again do you see the glory of Jesus that reveals the kingdom of God. And this is just one of many bombshell comments that Jesus drops in John's gospel. He just has a habit of doing that. It's a profound truth, but it's completely unexpected by Nicodemus. Nicodemus has no idea how to think about this. And Jesus knows it because Jesus knows what's in a man. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. If Nicodemus was born again, then he would know that these signs mean that the kingdom of God has come. He would be calling Jesus the Son of God and the Messiah and the King, not Rabbi. Because he was not saying those things, Jesus knows that Nicodemus has not been born again, and so he does not entrust himself to him. But Jesus is not done. Right? We're just mid-story. Jesus is not done. He's just getting started. The rabbi from Galilee tells the teacher of Israel what is necessary to see and even enter the kingdom of God. You know, if, if you're not a Christian, and by the way, we're happy to have you here this morning. If you're not a Christian, I would understand completely why you think we're a bit of an odd bunch. Gathering every Sunday to pray and praise, sing praise songs to a God you cannot see, we spend our time reading this book over and over about Jesus, even give our money to the church. It's because you, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And you cannot see the kingdom of God because you have not been born again. But Jesus is not done. The Spirit is using these words even now to bring about the new birth and revealing to you the glory of Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's what's happening. It's what he's doing for Nicodemus in this passage. Jesus gives Nicodemus clues about himself, Jesus, and this new birth, and these clues come from the Old Testament, which is the text that Nicodemus is a preeminent and expert teacher of. So he's trying to help Nicodemus. Nicodemus should recognize this because he's a, he's a teacher of Israel. In verse 4, Nicodemus is stuck thinking about physical birth. He's stuck thinking about physical birth. It, it's humorous a little bit, but, but he's just being honest when he asks, how can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Perish the thought. But Jesus is not describing physical birth. He's describing a spiritual birth. He's describing a spiritual birth that is the fulfillment. Listen, because this isn't where we normally go. He's describing a spiritual birth that is the fulfillment of Old Testament expectations related to Israel's return from exile and resurrection from the dead. How do we know that? Because Jesus explains this new birth using imagery from the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36 and 37. 
When Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's drawing on language and the promise from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 to 27. Turn there with me. Turn back just a little ways to Ezekiel chapter 36. Find verse 24. Israel is in exile because of their idolatry. The Lord is speaking to them about what he's going to do. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. That is, that's a restoration to the place where God would have them be, the promised land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus, uh, this, through the spirit, is going to is going to cleanse them of their sin. The idolatry that put them in exile in the first place, give them a new heart and a new spirit that's a small s spirit that's going to make them a new man. Going to transform their life. And then in verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God will place his Holy Spirit within them so that they will live this new life faithfully, in a godly way. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he must be born again of the water and the Spirit promised in Ezekiel. The Spirit who will do a sin-cleansing work in you, transforming your own spirit, and then put His Spirit in you to dwell within you so that God is present with you always. This is being born again of the water and the Spirit. Jesus is saying... To Nicodemus, look, that's who I am, and that's what I'm doing. That's what the signs point to. Jesus is fulfilling God's Old Testament promise of restoration and renewal, of cleansing and rebirth, and new life with the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus is bringing. See, John is big about showing us in his gospel that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament promises. But to help Nicodemus out, it's as if Jesus takes out a sheet of paper and draws a line down the middle, creating two columns, and he puts natural birth, that's what Nicodemus is thinking about, on one side of the sheet of paper, and he puts spiritual birth, that's the birth he's talking about, on the other side of the paper, and he does this side-by-side -side comparison right here for Nicodemus to see. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. When you were born of your mother, you were born into this physical realm, the realm of the flesh. Comparison. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When you are born of the Holy Spirit, you are born into the spiritual realm. When you are washed clean and given a new heart and a new spirit, and when you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, you are born of God and you are made a child of God. You probably noticed that you must be born again is a passive indicative. You figured that one out before, right? It's kind of a command. It's, it's an indication. You must be born again, and yet it's passive. You can't born yourself again. Someone has to act upon you. Someone else has to born you again. 
You did not cause your physical birth, and you cannot cause yourself to be born spiritually. You must be born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by the will of God. All the way back to chapter 1. This has already been told to us. So Jesus says again in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. We should note, it's not obvious to us in English, we should note that Jesus says, do not marvel that I said to you, singular, you Nicodemus, that you, plural, must be born again. Now that's bad grammar on Jesus' part if all he's doing is talking to Nicodemus, unless he's saying something bigger. And he's saying something bigger. Everyone needs to be born again to see the kingdom. Jesus has come so that all who are born again will enter the kingdom of God. But how does that happen? It happens by the Spirit. So Jesus uses the imagery that Nicodemus is familiar with now from Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 9. Find Ezekiel chapter 37. In verse 9, the Lord has transported the prophet to a valley of dry bones. You may be familiar with this story. And then God says to the prophet, prophesy to the breath. Breath, in Hebrew, is the same word for wind, is the same word for spirit. So you see the, you see the connection in using this word. Prophesy to the breath, the wind, the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Not just one, but all. When the breath moved, when the wind moved, when the Spirit came. Verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, all of God's people. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, says the Lord. The imagery is coming, coming into, into focus now, isn't it? The same Hebrew word is used for breath, wind, and spirit. You cannot make the wind blow, you cannot stop the wind from blowing. So it is with everyone who is just dead bones, lying dry in a valley, but who is born of the Spirit. This is, who new life, this is how new life will be accomplished by the water and the Spirit and the wind and the Spirit. Nicodemus should be putting two and two together now. When he hears wind and Spirit, when he hears water and Spirit, his mind is going, gosh, that sounds like Ezekiel. Gosh, that sounds exactly like the resurrection in Ezekiel. Gosh, that sounds just like the renewal in Ezekiel. Gosh, that sounds just like the new heart and the new life and the new Spirit and the Spirit of God within me that Ezekiel promised. Nicodemus should be putting two and two together. Remember the, the sound of those rattling bones in the valley of death, Nicodemus, that you've been teaching, it's the Spirit who comes and gives life to those dead in their sin. And this will be the case with all of God's people. An exceedingly great army 
the new birth, being born again, spiritual regeneration, is something like being resurrected from the dead and being brought to life. I keep going back to maybe something that's more more, uh, present in our minds, Ephesians chapter 2. When Paul says, and you were dead, he's talking to the church, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Oh, by the way, for grace you have been saved through faith And this is not your own doing. You can't born yourself again. It's the gift of God, and it's not a result of works. Because you can't born yourself again. So that no one may boast, except in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being born again is to have a foretaste of the resurrection to come. To be a new creation. To live this resurrection life by resurrection power. We cannot do it. We cannot born ourselves again. God must do it. We cannot see the Spirit, but we can see His life-giving effect. Can't we? Jesus goes on to teach Nicodemus more about the Gospel, beginning in verse 9. Nicodemus responds, saying to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. You know, this is a lot for Nicodemus to take in. (laughs) This this was just a courtesy call, maybe. (laughs) Uh, I think I'll go talk to that guy. And uh, this is a lot. This is a lot for Nicodemus to take in, that you have to be born again by the water, the wind, and the spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say anything about obeying the rules of the Pharisees in order to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, this is just a big switcheroo on, on Nicodemus. So Nicodemus' response here probably sounds kind of reasonable to us. And that's probably because we see ourselves responding a lot in the same way. But Jesus doesn't think it's reasonable. Are you the teacher of Israel? Yet you do not understand these things that I have explained to you from Old Testament passages that you're well familiar with. This is not only a rebuke. You do not know what you're supposed to be teaching. It's an indictment. What hope does Israel have with teachers who are ignorant 
of the reality that they should be teaching. But there's a second rebuke and an even greater indictment in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You see, at the heart of Nicodemus's not understanding is his unwillingness to believe Jesus. He'll never figure out the truth without first accepting that the source is true. Jesus has explained it, and that ought to be enough for Nicodemus, based on the reality of who Jesus is. The son of David, the anointed Messiah, God's word made flesh, tabernacling among us. You see, you can't respectfully call Jesus rabbi. You can say you believe he's a spiritual person because you're impressed with the signs that he did, maybe some of the words that he said. You can even say you visit him in the night. You offer prayers before bedtime. But if you do not receive his whole testimony as true, you know that you're not a believer. If you do not receive his whole testimony as true because you know that he is true, then you're missing the mark. You're in the same place as Nicodemus. You are sitting in judgment over Jesus' words, deciding whether they're true or not. You are deciding what parts of the Bible you'll believe and which parts of the Bible don't matter. Because you are sitting in judgment over Jesus himself. I'll decide what's true of the things that Jesus says. This is deadly foolish because it's ignorant of the reality that Jesus is the one who is true and sits over judgment of us, whether we are true or false. That's how this works. His word, it's like a plumb line, and he measures our rightness by it so that he can discern what is in a man, the Spirit of God or not. He's the one measuring whether we are true or not. It's not the other way around. Because Jesus is the one who knows. Jesus is the man who has come down from heaven to tell us heavenly things. And this makes total sense. Remember when Brian came back from Ireland? And I could ask Brian, hey Brian, what's Ireland like? Because I've never been there, but you've been there. And so you can tell me what Ireland's like. Or maybe a few weeks from now, when Lydia comes back from her trip to Japan, Lord willing, I'll be able to ask her, what was Japan like? Because she will be, have been there, and I've never been there. 
and she'll be able to bear witness to what she has seen and tell me what she knows. If Nicodemus doesn't understand that he and all Israel must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, I think that's the earthly things that Jesus has already told him. How is he going to believe the heavenly things that Jesus is going to say next? Because Jesus is the Son of Man who will ascend to the heavenly kingdom. Because he is the one who has descended from the heavenly kingdom to earth and is speaking now. I think this is, this is really interesting. Um, Jim Hamilton points this out, that in, song, in Proverbs 30, in Proverbs 30, verse 4, uh, the man speaking is Egur, and he asks a question in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. And the question is this, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? And who has wrapped the waters in a garment? What is his name? Surely you know. But the question goes unanswered. It's kind of a point in study for rabbis. Hey, you remember in Proverbs, the question asked, that goes unanswered. Do you remember that one? Have you got an answer? You know, this unanswered question from Proverbs chapter 30 rings throughout history until Jesus says to Nathanael in John chapter 1 verse 31, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Jesus is that Son of Man. Jesus is the only one qualified as the Son of Heaven to tell us heavenly things. Because He is the Word made flesh. We are responsible to believe the truth of what He says, even if we don't yet comprehend its meaning entirely, because it's Him who says it. The heavenly things that Jesus is merciful to reveal to Nicodemus have to do with his mission. Those are the coming verses. This is who I am. This is what I've come to do. And again, he speaks in Old Testament terms to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus has a shot at understanding. Verses 14 to 15. Jesus compares what, what he is going to do with something that happened in the Old Testament. Back in Numbers chapter 21. Let's turn back and read that. Numbers chapter 21. I wasn't going to, but it's a good thing for us to read. Israel has been rescued from Egypt in the Exodus, and now they're wandering in the wilderness. It's early on, early days in the wandering. Beginning in verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water. And we loathe this worthless food. That's the manna that God's provided for them. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. That's judgment. And the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. 
So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look to the bronze serpent and live. So this is a judgment, salvation passage. The Israelites sinned against God and Moses. God judged them with snakes. The snakes bit the people and they died. And so the people are crying out for mercy. God instructs Moses to make an image. An image of God's instrument of judgment, which is the snakes, the serpent. Make an image, which is the instrument of judgment. And when the people looked to that snake, they were healed and lived. So how does this compare with, how does this compare with Jesus? Well, here's, here's the correlation. First, first, let's sneak a look ahead. This will be helpful to us to John chapter 5. Just a little bit, just a little sneak preview in John chapter 5, verse 26. Really in verse 27, but I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. So you see, Jesus is the agent of God's judgment. Jesus is the agent of God's coming judgment. He's the Son of Man prophesied in Daniel 7. If you do not believe in Jesus... Not only will you die physically, but you will go on to die everlastingly in destruction in hell. And just as the instrument of God's judgment in the wilderness, which was the serpent, was lifted up, so Jesus, the agent of God's judgment, must be lifted up. There's the correlation. Jesus is referring to his being lifted up to die a sin-atoning death on the cross. Just as Israel looked to the serpent and were healed physically, so when you look to Jesus, you will be healed of your sin and receive eternal life. That's the gospel. It's good news. Another thing Nicodemus would have noticed is that this lifted up language is used prominently somewhere else. It's in Isaiah 52 and 53. Jesus is the wise serpent who shall be lifted up and exalted. And he's the suffering servant who will bear the curse for our iniquities so that we might become the spiritual offspring of God. That sounds like born again as children of God language back in Isaiah. You might say born again. Given the right to become children of God through Jesus. You know, what John the Evangelist wants us to see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, who is bringing the new covenant. In this nighttime visit with Nicodemus, Jesus claims to fulfill the Old Testament in many varied ways. He claims to bring the promised kingdom of God in verses 3 and 5. He claims to bring sin cleansing, life transformation, promised in Ezekiel chapter 36 through the new birth in verses 5 and 6. In verse 8, he promises to make us partakers of the resurrection by the wind of the Spirit promised in Ezekiel chapter 37. As the ascending and descending Son of God, Son of Heaven, he claims to be the answer to the age-old question of Proverbs 30. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus again claims to be the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. He fulfills the role of the wise servant in Isaiah 52 who is lifted up and exalted on high and dear friend, Jesus is the suffering servant 
from Isaiah chapter 53. And God's agent of judgment from Numbers chapter 21 who was lifted up on the cross to bear God's just punishment for your sin. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. And all of its feasts, like the Passover feast, and all of its signs that point to the resurrection to come. John is showing us that Jesus is everything. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised. Jesus meets and exceeds all of God's promises for forgiveness and cleansing, of renewal, of truth and understanding, of the new birth by the Spirit of God as children of God. Jesus does that. There's no one better than Jesus. There's nothing better than what Jesus has done by the Spirit's power. He's mighty to save. And lifted up on the cross, he accomplished salvation for all who would believe. Not in the signs, but in him to whom the signs point. So behold Jesus. Lifted up before you in the word. Behold him. Be born again. Have cleansing from sin's stain. Have freedom from sin's power. Be made to see and even enter the kingdom of God. Worship Him. Love Him. Commit your soul to Him. And anything He says, because He says it. You know the words, lifted up was he to die. It's finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new birth and we pray that you would bring about new birth even this morning. Jesus might entrust himself as true and glorious and make the kingdom visible to those who do not know him so that they now would know him, that they would know him as Savior, that they would know him as King, that they would know him as friend. Father, we thank you for our holy Christ, our godly Christ, our righteous Christ. We want to look to him. Make us to love him, we pray. For he is worthy. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.